Today, for your listening pleasure, we have Weston with a special dream infringement, Mad Libs. Okay, so this is a little something I read. Dream Infringement is a stinky show hosted by three baddie friends who like to tell stories and play songs based on a weekly theme. This week's theme is about barfing gargoyles. Well, maybe not because it's about amazing animals. So many animals make great pets like dogs, cats, and alligators. They make good pets because they are dignified, sweet, and cute. Some animals don't make good pets like lions, bunnies, and hamsters. They don't make good pets because they are selfish, rude, and they are know-it-alls. Some animals are really amazing because they can use their laser eyes and turn invisible. Some animals can't even save lives, which is what we're going to t- going to talk about for today's show. I'm Weston, and I'm for kind, forgiving, and loving. Woo! Thank you, Weston. <laughs> that was a great intro. Thanks, buddy. You're welcome. <laughs> That's right. This week, it's all about amazing animals. So stick around, get yourself comfy, and listen to the next hour of Dream Infringement. Sometimes you've got to rewind to go This is Jennifer here, and I'm really excited to bring this interview to you. I was very privileged to talk to my friend Linda about her work and experience with our local search and rescue team. I've heard her talk about it, but I never really sat down and asked all the many questions that I had about dogs, training, how the process works. And you know me, I always have a lot of questions about everything. And I found it completely fascinating to learn how humans and dogs are able to work together to find people and to save lives. So I will let Linda take it from here. Thank you, Jennifer. My name is Linda. I've been a resident of Jackson County for 25 years and a member of Jackson County Search and Rescue for seven years. I first became interested in search and rescue because of my history of training dogs over the last 35 years. I'm currently a certified obedience and trainer through the National Association of Dog Obedience Instructors. I taught obedience classes and continue to coach clients individually. I had trained personal dogs for competitive obedience, tracking, and agility, and had always wanted to train a dog for search and rescue. I realized I personally didn't know anything about how we were set up locally, how search and rescue worked with our local departments. I'll let Linda break it down. Jackson County Search and Rescue is a field services division unit of the Jackson County Sheriff's Office. It's comprised of trained volunteers to respond on a 24-hour basis to search, rescue, and recovery missions throughout Jackson County. Jackson County Search and Rescue also belongs to an organization called CORSAR, which is a mutual aid agreement with other regional counties in Southern Oregon and Northern California. Within Jackson County Search and Rescue are various specialty teams, the canine team being one of them. And of course, we have to talk about Linda's current four-footed companions and their personalities and names. So we'll proceed with a little introduction. My current working dog is Angus. He is an eight-year-old German Shepherd dog. He's certified in trailing and human remains detection. Angus has been trained with this purpose in mind since he was a puppy. 
He's big, friendly, full of life, and a dedicated partner. He loves tennis balls and playing with sticks. He is approaching retirement, so I've started training a second dog. Her name is Liesel. She's 22 months old right now and also a German Shepherd dog. And like Angus, she's also been trained with this purpose in mind since she was a baby. She's confident, goofy, sweet, and she likes tug toys instead of balls. And she is currently being trained for trailing. So if you're like me and the only search and rescue dogs that you've ever seen are the ones that are portrayed on television, you might not know, like myself, that there are actually different specialties that the dogs have and they'll call in different dogs for different needs. There are numerous disciplines that search and rescue dogs can be trained in. Avalanche, disaster, area search, trailing, human remains detection, to name a few. Angus had a tendency to follow ground scent to find things when he was a puppy, so I initially trained him as a trailing dog. Later, I added human remains detection as a second discipline. Lisa also is being trained as a trailing dog. The goal is that she will take Angus's spot on the team when he is fully retired. Jackson County Search and Rescue Canine Team currently has trailing dogs, area search dogs, and human remains detection dogs. So my next question to her was, is this something that just any dog could be trained to do? And it turns out that there are some specific breeds that just are a little better adapted or more inclined to be effective at this. The most popular breeds for search and rescue are dogs that have been bred over the years for working with humans. Breeds generally used for police or military work, hunting breeds or herding breeds, for example. Search and rescue dogs can be any breed or size, really, as long as their temperament and ability are conducive to do the work required of a search and rescue dog. Again, based on television knowledge, I thought you just showed up with the dog. You're like, this dog smells things really well, so we'll just show up and I'll follow the dog and he finds whatever he needs to find and that's how it works. Yeah, I was so very wrong about that. There is so much training and effort required to have a dog be certified for search and rescue. I will let Linda kind of break it down for you because it is so much more involved than I imagined. These dogs and owners like put forth an incredible amount of dedication and effort to do this. As far as what kind of training and time commitment that it takes for certification and what kind of equipment that you need to have on hand, her answer is... The short answer? A lot. On average, you are probably looking at two years for the dog's first certification. This includes weekly training together as a team and working at home alone. Just like any other skill, to maintain it, you have to practice it. Certifications are usually required every one to two years, depending on the organization that you certify through. Our individual canine team provide most of their dog's equipment and training classes. So if we're going to travel, to train with master trainers, we're taking care of that usually. So let that sink in, that these are volunteers 
and they're paying for classes and equipment out of pocket. They're paying money and time to try and save or to find people or remains to solve crimes and to save lives. So let's just take a moment to appreciate that there are people that make themselves available to do this. Our canine team trains together two to three days per week on average with averaging two to four hours per session. As you can see, your personal life has to be able to accommodate this kind of time commitment to be a dog handler. I asked her about how the dogs search. Again, from TV, you present the dog with a sweater or other personal item and the dog takes off. That's not quite how it goes in real life. Um, it, she breaks down a little bit more about the specialties. What, what is a trailing dog? What does it do? And, you know, some of the other disciplines that the dogs can be specialized in. Trailing dogs are scent-specific searchers. In situations where we're looking for a specific person from a last known location, if you provide a scent article from that missing person to the trailing dog, they will follow the scent trail of that specific person. This is useful for lost children or dementia individuals that have wandered off from a specific location. Area search dogs are sent into a large area to locate any person. The dog will locate any person within that area that is being searched. This is useful when you're needing to search a large area where a person may be located, such as lost hikers or hunters. Human remains detection is used for the detection of human remains recovery. Dogs can search an area off-leash, or they can work small areas on-leash. The dog is trained a specific response, such as a down, a sit, or a bark, that alerts the handler the dog has detected human remains odor. So in my mind, greatly influenced by my old friend, the television show, I thought a person presented some sort of personal item. The dog smelled it, took off, and found whatever it was and barked at it really loud until the owner came and that that's how it was done. That's not how it's done. A lot of dogs have much more subtle body language of when they're scenting something and they're trained to respond in a certain way when they find something, which I really didn't know. And Linda goes on to kind of describe what that looks like between like a handler and their dog. The learning curve for the handler is to read your dog's behavior. There are numerous things that dogs do when they are in odor versus searching for odor. Handlers are watching changes in pace, breathing pattern, head turns, tail carriage, just to name a few. The dog is working odor, and we the human have to be able to capture that information from the dog's behavior to tell us what they're doing with odor. We are very much partners in this job. My question to Linda was, what do you find rewarding about doing this? Obviously, I like dogs. I've spent a better part of my life working with them. They are amazing creatures to spend time with and in our partnership in Search and Rescue to see them work. I like spending time with my dogs. 
The fact that my dog and I can help someone be found or give closure to a recovery effort is very satisfying. I asked her if someone decided that this was something they really wanted to do, what would be her words of advice? I would encourage anyone interested in becoming a search and rescue dog handler to join their local search and rescue team first. First and foremost, we are all search and rescue members over our specialty teams. You learn navigation skills and search tactics that are vital for all searching situations. Later, if you have a lot of time to commit, consider a search dog. Thank you so very much to Linda for all that information and all that research and just breaking down like how our search and rescue works in the county and how it works in general. So Linda said that I could pick out a song for her. Hopefully I picked out one that she will like. Uh, this is Cracker Jack by Dolly Parton. Once I had a little dog, I called him Cracker Jack. He had a spot around one eye that looked just like a badge. And now I'd like to invite all of you listeners to hop into my time traveling machine and come away with me to the year 1783. For it was in 1783 that King Louis XVI had gathered his entire court to attend an experiment synonymous with a major breakthrough in aerospace science. It wasn't rocket science, but it was close enough to have the king and his wig-wearing courtiers really curious about it. On the front lawn of Versailles, the Montgolfier brothers can be seen about to give a demonstration of their new invention, a hot air balloon made with cloth and paper. A few months back, they had successfully demonstrated their hot air balloon in the south of France, and now word had gotten around to the king, and now was the time to present their hot air balloon to the king and all the courtiers. Plus, they wanted to get some funding. A basket was tied up beneath a large balloon, but the Montgolfier brothers were hesitant to put an actual human being in the basket. So they picked the next best thing, a duck, a rooster, and a sheep, ready to reach the sky. Cannon was shot. The balloon was released into the sky. It went up about 500 meters and flew for about eight minutes before crash landing into the forest a few kilometers away. The audience had been following the flying balloon and wondered about the vital state of the animals. Both the rooster and the duck were stunned near the knocked over basket. The brave sheep, however, was enjoying his presence back on solid ground as he calmly grazed. The sheep was named Montagel. Montagel was adopted by Marie Antoinette and lived out his days in her private village where she would pretend to be a milkmaid and spray her sheep and goats with perfume. Montagel was later quoted as saying, that's one small step for sheep, one giant leap for sheep kind. 
Storytelling is in my blood. As far back as the generations in my lineage go, families would gather around the storyteller and listen as they'd carefully weave together words to create pictures. In my mind, there's a certain kind of story that one tells, a story of adversity and mystery, a story with the odds stacked up against one person, and that person, someone the storyteller reveres, holds up high, the hero. The hero has powers, powers that maybe normal humans like ourselves do not possess. This is one such story, a story my mom once told us as kids about my grandfather. Rudy Gonzalez. They lived in a part of the California desert that if you were driving past, you could blink and miss it. Here is that story, as told by my mother, Carmen. Every once in a while, your parents impress you with something that they can do. One of the things my father did was he raised pit bulls and he raised Doberman Pinchers. And he raised them to protect us and he raised them to be our friends. One of the dogs that we had, his name was Cochise. He was a short brindle pit bull. He was trained to walk us to our bus stop and to pick us up. But he was very close to each and every one of me and my sisters and my brother. But he was very close to my dad. Wherever my dad went, Cochise was always with him. Well, one summer, I think it was the year 1980 in the summer, our dog went missing. Cochise was missing. We looked for him relentlessly for days, but days turned into weeks and those weeks turned into a month. He was missing for almost a month and a half. We finally thought we gave up on trying to find him. We even thought about what might have happened to him. Maybe he wasn't even alive. Maybe an animal got a hold of him. Maybe he was dognapped. We just didn't know. And we thought we'd never find out. Well, one day during that hot summer, a friend of ours invited us up to a pond. She said that she knew where a pond was. So we all wanted to go check it out to see if we could go swimming, if it was clean enough for us to go swimming. Well, by the time we got to the pond, no, it wasn't clean enough for us to go swimming. We all decided it wasn't safe to even go in it. And it was a waste of our time. So we took the main road home. It was about five miles from our house. We decided to get back on the main road and walk home. Well, on our walk home, Lo and behold, in somebody's backyard, there was Cochise, tied up on a chain under a shady tree. It didn't look safe. The house looked kind of run down, and he was actually tied up by an old storage shed, and it didn't look safe to us. We didn't know if we should enter the yard and try and take him. So we all decided together that we would try and get home as fast as we could and tell my dad. My dad wouldn't know what to do. So we all ran home. By the time we got home, we were so hot out of breath and we scared our dad. He was taking a nap on his recliner and we all ran in. Dad, dad, we found Cochise. 
He jumped out, leaped out of his chair. Before we knew it, he had his shoes on and was running out to the truck. We ran out with him. We made it just in time. We jumped into the back of the truck. He said, tell me where he's at. So we showed my dad where Cochise was at. And as we drove up to the house, my dad kind of drove very slow, drove past the house. We turned around, came back. And yeah, we all identified Cochise. That was our dog. We pulled up to the yard slowly. My dad turned off the truck. We stayed in the bed of the truck. He told us to stay in it. He got out. He approached the fence. He wet, managed to wedge open the fence just a little, and he slipped through it. And as he approached Cochise, he was trying to communicate with him and talk to him. Cochise didn't even move. He didn't stand up. He didn't leap towards my dad. We thought, oh my word, what happened to Cochise? He's forgotten us. He doesn't even recognize us. We all devised a plan that whoever came out of that house, my dad was probably going to come to blows with him. And so we would have a plan to jump out of the truck and get in that yard and get our dog somehow while my dad was probably going to be in a battle. Well, a man did come out. My dad and him had some words. My dad was surprisingly talking very clear and very calm. But he wasn't making any negotiation with this man. He wasn't accepting it. And we thought, oh no, what are we going to do? Then my dad started walking away, and my sister hushed us down and said, listen, listen, listen to what dad is saying. Our dad started talking to him and said, okay, okay, we could hear our dad. He said, all right, if this is your dog, take him off that leash. When I call him, if he doesn't come to me, then he's your dog, and I'll drop this. I'll forget the whole thing, and I'll leave. And the guy said, it's a deal. We couldn't believe it. We thought, Cochise isn't even responding to us. He's probably forgotten us. We're going to leave without our dog. Our dad is not going to do anything to get our dog back. But our dad walked out of the yard. He wedged back through the fence. And we looked at him with, like we were going to cry. And he just motioned us to be really quiet. He put his finger up and said, just, just stay quiet. And we thought, what's he doing? And then as my dad opened the truck, the door to the truck, and as he turned the ignition, he whistled. Cochise, let's go. He pounded on the truck. Cochise, with just a few leaps, was out of that yard and leaped right into the truck with us. We couldn't believe it. It was victory. Our dad had had a plan the whole time. We hugged Cochise. We kissed him. We couldn't believe he hadn't forgotten us. Cochise knew the game too. And he was waiting for my dad to call him. Well, as we drove away, there were a few choice words at the, at the guy who took our dog, the dog, Napper. But... When we got home, we hugged Cochise. We gave him snacks of Cheetos and a bowl of milk. And we took him a bath. We, just, we said we want to get every trace of the dog napper off of him. 
But that's the time that our dad really impressed us because to us, he was the first dog whisperer. Here is Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds with their 2019 release, Bright Horses. The bright horses have broken free from the fields. pieces on piano with the company of a cat. Either sometimes they'd be on the windowsill next to him, sometimes they would just be in his arms, either drowsing peacefully or reaching up to touch or rub against his beard. It was a very cute, very touching set of videos to watch. And he also spent a lot of time patrolling the streets of Turkey looking for stray cats and they were they were very stray they were starved emaciated maimed with a host of medical conditions and he would find them get them proper medical care sometimes they didn't make it and when that happened his grief was profound like over the top emotionally hurt to the bottom of his soul and it didn't really all come together or make sense to me until I read his backstory. And just a trigger warning, I'm going to talk about suicide. So if this is something that's just not a good topic for you, turn, for, turn away, turn that dial for a few moments. And so about 10 years ago, Sarper got depressed, really depressed. He thought of all the bad things that were happening in the world, and he thought, this is not worth living. And he jumped off a building and survived. However, he broke his back, and it took a very long time for him to recover. About a year's time after that, his father took him to the park. Now, he was still recovering from the broken back so he wasn't able to like run around he basically was in the park just to lay on the grass look up at the sky his father thought it might cheer him up to get him out of the house so he lay there and a small stray cat that had been ignored by everybody else in the park headed straight for Sarper began to interact with him and you know rub against him and he kind of experienced it a turning point and when he did recover he began to find cats to take care of cats he's adopted many um, currently he has 19 in his very small place and they all have a host of medical issues he's not able to adopt every cat he rescues but he does ensure that the ones that are able to recover find good homes I think he goes to show the power of having like a bond with an animal. His relationships with humans, no matter how good they are, they can be a little complicated. There's misunderstandings. There's mood changes. Sometimes we get a little hangry. All of these things can happen and you can be afraid of letting down your loved one 
or feel like you're not good enough for them. Relationships with animals is generally a lot simpler. You have a panic attack at 2 a.m. Usually your animal's pretty game to hang out with you. You're crying the day away. Usually again, they make the best of it. Just cuddle up and purr and you get some solace and relief. You get a companion who needs you, who wants you, who loves you. Just you being there, no matter how unshowered or surly or depressed you are, is enough. There's something very powerful in that, just being enough. But back to Sarper, he composes a lot of his own music. Those are the pieces that have been playing behind this piece, and I'm gonna play you one uninterrupted by me talking over the top of it, and it is called Loneliness. Come aboard my time-traveling vessel once more. All right, the year is 1939. And before us, we see a battleship called the Bismarck. It was built for Nazi Germany's Kriegsmarine. And this battleship is about to sink because it was just involved in a battle with the Prince of Wales, an allied battleship, where it was badly damaged and became unmaneuverable. Slowly, it does sink into the ocean and only 118 from its crew of over 2,200 survive. And yet, hours later, a cat is found floating on a board and picked up from the water. This cat named Oscar, and later named Unsinkable Sam, was the only survivor to be rescued by the homeward-bound British destroyer, the HMS Cossack. It was then that Unsinkable Sam switched sides from the Nazi to the Allied forces. Our feline friend continued to find himself in a frenzy of misfortunes. Oscar, or Sam, served on board the Cossack for the next few months as the ship carried out convoy escort duties in the Mediterranean and North Atlantic. Things were going pretty okay for a brief time, but ultimately the destroyer was badly damaged by a torpedo and 139 members of its crew were killed. On October 27, 1941, a day after the tow was slipped, the Cossack sank to the west of Gibraltar, and Oscar was found clinging to a piece of plank. He made it through the ordeal and was brought to the shore establishment in Gibraltar. When they learned what happened, British officers changed his name from Oscar to Unsinkable Sam, a fitting name for a cat that survived the sinking of two warships. But the adventure wasn't over quite yet. In an ironic twist, Unsinkable Sam was adopted by the crew of the HMS Ark Royal, that very 
ship was instrumental in sinking the Bismarck. The Arc Royale sur survived several near misses and gained a reputation as a lucky ship. The Germans incorrectly reported her as sunk on multiple occasions, which seemed like the right place for Sam to be. Ah, but the luck ran out when returning from Malta on November 14, 1941. The HMS Arc Royale was torpedoed by a U-boat. This time, Sam was found clinging to a floating plank by a motor launch and described as angry but quite unharmed. But by this time, Sam had enough. He was transferred to a job on land and spent his days hunting mice in the building of the Governor General in Gibraltar. Eventually, Sam said, I'd like to go home, meow. And he was sent back to the UK where he remained at a home for sailors in Belfast until the end of his days. I'd like to dedicate this song to our dear friend and listener of the show, Miriam, and also to Sam, the unsinkable cat. Well, Emily, I think we did a pretty good job tonight, wouldn't you say? I would say so. And another thing I'd like to say is that our show has come to its end. And we're very excited that you joined us. And we can't wait till next week to share some other interesting stories and songs that are guaranteed to entertain. That's right. And we just want to give a special thank you to all of our interviewees. We really love hearing from friends and family in the community. And if you have a an animal story that you'd like to share um, with us, go to our Facebook or Instagram and let us know there. Yes. So whether that special friend of yours be a dog or a cat or an orangutan or a giraffe or a weasel, just know that we are always here for you as dream infringement. We're just a quick dial away on your radio. That's right. And like that song from the 90s, whose name I can't remember right now, says, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. So stick around for High Tech Soul with Leo coming up next. Have a good night and see you next week on the airwaves. Bye. Hasta la vista. And if you just stop to think a bit, there's no doubt of it, I shall win a place in history. But I can walk with the animals, talk with the animals, grunt and squeak and squawk with the animals.